We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. If you've got your Bibles, let's grab them and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, we are starting a new series this morning called Gospel Generosity. And uh, some of you immediately, when I used the word generosity, said, oh no, we're going to talk about giving. And uh, you, now you were like, I should have hit the snooze button. I knew it. Uh, but you're here. So listen, we, we need to talk about the subject of generosity. We need to have a different uh, way of thinking about this because the truth is, um, not only are, are we to grow in this area, that we are to mature spiritually in the area of generosity, of giving, of sharing uh, what God has entrusted us that belongs to him with those around us, but, but the truth is our life is better when we live generous. Like life is better when we live generous. Uh, 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 there's a lot of studies and different uh, looking into the, the, the mind and the makeup of humanity, and, and one of the things that's been discovered, many psychiatrists will say that greedy people typically are less happy, and generous people, by and large, are more happy. And so there, there's a part of this thing called generosity that just makes life better. I was uh, come across something this week uh, on this, uh, this little website called lifehack.org, lifehack.org, just finding better ways of, of living. This is not, a, not a necessarily a Christian uh, site, but it was interesting to see what they said about generosity. Here's, here is the article I found. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just give you a, a few uh, thoughts from it. Uh, but basically, the, the article was entitled, Seven Reasons Why Generous People Are More Likely to Be Successful. So, so seven reasons why generous people are more likely to be successful. Here's what they listed. This was fascinating to me. Number one is this, generous people are happy people. Generous people are happy people. Uh, you, you'll be hard-pressed to find a generous person who is grumpy and unhappy. And if you think about the people around you as you walk through this list, you're going to go, yeah, I can, I can see that. I've, I've met people who are generous, and they're typically uh, very happy people. Number two, generous people are more relaxed. There's something about the article talks about the fact that when, when you can let go of your possessions and give them away, you're no longer in, in bondage to them. Therefore, you just have a more relaxed life. If you're living a greedy life, then what's going to happen? You're going to be holding tight to everything, and you're just going to be more tense and less relaxed. But if you're a generous person, you're going to be more relaxed. Number three, generous people are willing to work hard, are willing to work hard. Now, not that greedy people are not, but, but generous people have a different motivation for having what they have. It's not just to acquire more, but rather to give more. Therefore, they're willing to, to work hard in order to be able to bless uh, others. Number four was this, generous people are kind people, which is kind of a given, right? Like you never really meet a mean, generous person, right? You just, there always seems to be a kind people. Number five, generous people are free people. 
It kind of goes along with the more relaxed part, but they're free people. People that are greedy and they're always checking their bank account, always making sure that comparatively to other people, they have more. Those type of people typically are not free people because they live lives uh, being enslaved to their possessions, enslaved to their work, enslaved to their resources rather than living as free people who no longer are held by them. Number six, generous people have better relationships. Now, just, just, let's, do a, let's do a poll here, all right? Uh, how many of you would rather be friends with someone generous than someone who's greedy? Raise your hand if you would rather be friends with someone who's generous, right? Everybody wants to have the generous friend, but not all of us are willing to be the generous friend, right? But they typically um, are better friends. They have better relationships. Um, and generous people are more confident people. Now, listen, I've witnessed this. It seems to me that the most insecure people I've ever been around are those who are extremely greedy because they're always paranoid. They're always worried that somebody's got an angle. Somebody's going to try to get something from them, and they're always skeptical of things. They're the ones that's always questioning the, 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 the motive behind certain things because, man, they love their possessions so, so much that it brings about insecurities about their life and about other people's motive. But when you're a generous person, you typically are confident. Why? Because your, your hope, your, 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 your courage in life isn't found in your bank account. So you, you freely give things away. So you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about who I am and, and what I have. And so when you just think about generosity from this, this perspective, this is a subject that we need to lean into. But not only for our benefit, but for our spiritual growth as well. That generosity, just like, and we're going to see this very clearly in a minute, just like any other part of our spiritual walk needs to be something that we, we pursue intentionally for spiritual growth. So uh, this series, listen, I don't, I don't want this series on generosity to be aimed toward or, or fueled by this, this, um, this making you feel guilty about maybe areas of your life where you know you're not living as generous as you should. Rather, the reason we're calling this gospel generosity is because what I want us to see is the gospel working in our heart will produce generosity through our lives. And uh, Paul is going to make this very, very clear. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you're there, say, I'm there. Let me give you the backdrop. Paul is collecting an offering um, from various predominantly Gentile churches for uh, the believers in Jerusalem. The believers in Jerusalem were going through a, a very severe time of testing, uh, they, were, they were in the midst of suffering. There, there was a lot of oppression happening in and around them. And so they were suffering. And so what Paul started doing was is he started encouraging these Gentile churches to prove their genuine love in Christ for their now new brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, there was once a divide between Jews and Gentiles. Now they are, they are bonded together in Christ. And so Paul is saying, you really want to bless these, these, these Jewish people in Jerusalem? Let them know that you're, you're sincere about your, your commitment to Jesus. Man, I'm going to encourage you to give an offering, you as a church, toward the needs that they have. And so Paul is going to, to encourage them throughout chapters 8 and 9 to be generous. See, the church in Corinth was a very gifted church. If you read First and Second Corinthians, this was a church that had a lot of the blessings of the Lord on their life, spiritually speaking, a diversity of spiritual gifts. But not only that, they were a very stable church financially. They had a lot of resources. And so what Paul is going to do is, is they've shown some interest. In 1 Corinthians, at the end, Paul encourages them to give toward this. Apparently, they said, yeah, we would. 
And then he writes them in 2 Corinthians in this chapters 8 and 9 to basically say, hey, don't forget your commitment. I want to make sure that you spiritually grow in this area as well. So I'm going I'm to say some things to you that should be a motivation for you uh, to participate in the offering to the Jerusalem church that you promised that you would. And so Paul is going to write to them and encourage them, listen, this is an area of growth for you. You have resources. Now let's see how the gospel shapes your heart to give of those resources to the kingdom. You with me? Say amen. amen. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, uh, Paul writes, he says, For we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us accordingly. So now Paul has used this, this example of the Macedonian church, which is where we're going to spend the majority of our time together. But then in verse 6, he's going to give an, an application to what he has just explained to them. And so I'm going to kind of explain this and then we'll go back and see the example. Look at what he says in verse 6. He says, accordingly, we urge Titus um, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. So what's the act of grace? Generosity, this, this giving to this, this offering. Verse 7, but as you excel, listen to this very closely, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others, that your love also is genuine. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss what Paul is explaining here. He's showing them the example, which is where we're going to spend the majority of our time. And then he says, now, accordingly, here's what I want you to see. He says, I want you to see that just as you've grown in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and our love for you, we also want you to excel in this act of grace as well. And then he says to them that this is going to prove the genuineness of your love, your love for Jesus and your love for others. So, so here's why Paul is going to challenge these believers to grow. A couple of things that I want you to see before we kind of jump into the meat of the sermon. If you want to write these things down, they're not going to be on the screen. They're just kind of bonus points for you, all right, so that you don't feel like you've got your money's worth today, all right? So, so here's what we need to see. Paul says, listen, generosity is, a, is an issue of spiritual progress. It's an issue of spiritual progress. He says to them, you've grown in your faith. You've grown in your speech. You've grown in your, in your earnestness. In other words, there's a lot of spiritual maturity happening in your life, and that's all great. And then he says, see to it that you grow in this area of grace as well. Paul is simply saying, your spiritual maturity, you're growing in a lot of areas, but do not neglect the area of generosity. That as believers, us growing to become generous people is an evidence of spiritual progress taking place in our life. Oftentimes we will say, man, I'm really growing. I'm reading my Bible more. I'm praying more. I'm, I'm, I'm serving on mission. I'm using my gifts. I'm all of those things. We're, we're growing, but the, when it comes to the area of generosity, we're like, oh, wait, wait a second. I don't know that I'm interested in growing that much. And Paul is saying, no, 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 this is, a, this is an issue of spiritual progress. Here's the second little bonus point for you. Is it's not only spiritual progress, it's spiritual fruit. It's spiritual fruit. He says in verse uh, number uh, 8, he says that this, this, this giving to this will prove that your love also is genuine. 
In other words, the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, which has been something that they uh, obviously possess and have expressed that they possess, and Paul is saying, listen, you, you want to put your money where your mouth is. Your, your willingness to live generously is going to validate th- this, this act of love or this expression of love that you say that you have. Your love is validated, your love for Jesus, your love for others, by the life of generosity. So this is not just about spiritual progress, it's about spiritual fruit. And then he, he makes this little observation here. He says, he says in verse 7, as you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge and earnestness and in all of, your, of our love for you, see that you excel, listen to this, in this act of grace also. Listen, I want you to think spiritual discipline. So generosity is an issue of spiritual progress. It's, it's also an issue of spiritual fruit, but it's also something, listen, that requires spiritual discipline. I love the fact that Paul says, see to it that you excel in this area. In other words, it takes intentionality. You don't don't become a generous person on accident. When you know that there's an area of deficiency, for instance, I talked last week about the subject of prayer. All of us agreed in this room that from time to time, we struggle with the area of prayer. And I've gotten emails and comments made online of just what an encouragement to your prayer life to challenge you to, to, to put, put more energy and more effort and more focus into your prayer life. So, so you've expressed to me that, that you've got a struggle in prayer. And so you've also, many of you have expressed that you're going to be more disciplined in this area. So, so what Paul is saying, it's the same way with generosity. See to it, you, see to it that you grow in this area. See to it that, that Jesus matures you in this area. So, so out of you walk through this series with us, here's what I'm hoping happens, that you leave this series saying, you know what, I'm going to be more determined. I'm going to be more determined to see spiritual progress and spiritual fruit in this area because I'm going to be spiritually disciplined to pursue this type of lifestyle, being a generous person. Amen? This is where we we need to be. Now listen, verse 9, this is the key to the entire series here. Verse 9 is important. This is where everything kind of hinges while we call this gospel generosity. Verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This kind of frames everything that Paul is going to say in chapters 8 and 9 about generosity. That generosity, listen, is to flow from the generosity found in the gospel. Let me give you one phrase that will help you understand the entirety of this series. I want us to see that our generosity to the mission of God is in response to Jesus' generosity to the mission of God. I want you to see that your generosity to the mission of God is to be in response to Jesus' generosity to the mission of God. And according to Paul here, Jesus was generous to the mission of God. It doesn't say that he gave some of who he was. He gave everything to the mission of God, did he not? The one who had the riches of heaven chose to live in the poverty of this world so that those of us who were captive by the poverty of this world might have the riches of heaven. That Jesus, though he was rich, became poor so that those of us who are poor might become rich. And it is that framework that Paul says this should be the fuel of your generosity. It should be an overflow. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk through, and this morning I want to talk to you about specifically gospel-centered generosity. Gospel-centered generosity. How, how do we know 
What does it look like when, we're, when, when our generosity is centered on the gospel? What is it going to look like? How is it going to evidence itself in our life? Well, Paul gives an illustration here of this Macedonian church, this least likely church to be used as an example for generosity because of the conditions that they, they lived in. But Paul does this. He says, I want you to see what it looks like when your life is anchored in the gospel, when you're centered in the gospel, this is what it looks like. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, we want you to know, uh, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Paul is referring to in verse 1 their generosity. He's going to unpack that through verses 2 through 5, but he uses a word here to describe their generosity. He says, I want to tell you about the grace of God that has been demonstrated among the churches of Macedonia. He refers to their generosity as an act of grace. Here's what Paul is simply saying. The generosity I'm about to describe to you from this church in Macedonia is the evidence of the gospel at work in their life. The grace of God has produced this. They're, they're not just generous people because they, they stumbled upon it. They're generous because their lives are anchored in the gospel. When your lives are centered and anchored in the gospel, this is how you're going to see generosity take place in your life. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you four evidences, four evidences of what it looks like to walk in gospel-centered generosity. So if you're a note-taker, I want you to write these four, uh, four things down as we examine this example that Paul gives to us in the church of Macedonia. Four evidences of walking in gospel-centered generosity. Number one is this. When you walk in gospel-centered generosity, we give unconditionally. When we walk in gospel-centered generosity, we give unconditionally. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part. Now, now don't miss what he just said here. Because this phrase doesn't make sense. Like, rarely are you going to see these phrases together. He says, in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and extreme poverty. Now think about those three phrases. They don't really match, do they? Through, through, through a severe testing, through extreme poverty, there was an abundance of joy. Well, what's happening here? You typically don't associate severe testing and extreme poverty with an abundance of joy. Here's what Paul is saying. He's wanting us to understand that we, we, when our lives are centered and anchored in the gospel, listen, our circumstances do not dictate our joy. In severe testing and extreme poverty, joy. Why? Because when, when Jesus is the source of your joy, your circumstances can't rob your joy away. Because our circumstances, like, like, the, like East Texas weather, they change. It's like by the time we leave, some of you are going to be like, it is so hot today. Then you can came in wearing your jacket. And that is exactly how circumstances are in life. It's up and down. It's good and bad. It's, it's great, then it's terrible. It's all of these very varied experiences that we have. And so how can we have a joy that is not dependent upon circumstances? You have a, a source of your joy that's not found in your circumstances. Because my circumstances change from day to day. But guess what? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this is what... You, you find these believers, listen to the description of this. These believers were in a severe test of affliction, severe test of affliction. They, they lived, this particular part of the world was a very war-torn area. 
They were devastated economically. They were devastated physically. The Roman Empire had just been crushing them over and over and over and over. And if you want to kind of get a mental picture, just think about maybe our, our brothers and sisters in Christ living in, in Syria or Turkey. You're talking about decades of war, decades of tragedy, decades of loss, decades of, of poverty, just, just, just perpetual uh, severity of affliction just happening in their life. So think about parts of the world different than we live and how they can just live for 20 and 30 and 40 years in just devastation. This is what the Macedonian believers were living in every single day. But, but not, not only that, it wasn't just severe tests of affliction. It was extreme poverty, not just poverty, extreme poverty. The word extreme here means deep or, or, or great. This word poverty specifically, it is a Greek word that refers to the worst type of poor. It's the type of poverty that would leave you destitute with nothing to eat, no place to live. So let me kind of put in, in framework the there are very few of us in this room, if any in this room, that have, have actually witnessed this type of poverty, much less experienced it. So, so think about this. The, the poorest person in this room, you're like, man, I'm, I could probably qualify for that. The poorest person in this room would be considered wealthy compared to what Paul is describing here. This is, is deep and great poverty. But, but look what he says. He says, he says, in this severe test of, of affliction, there was an abundant joy, and then this extreme poverty, look at what it produced. It overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Now, this doesn't make sense, does it? Like, Paul is, is using this, this, this kind of equation. He's saying severe testing plus abundant joy plus extreme uh, 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 poverty or extreme affliction, this, this abundant of joy, this, this overwhelming poverty equals an overflow of generosity. Like, that doesn't make sense. But it does make sense when you understand the gospel. Because you understand that the gospel is, is just as valuable when, when life is tough as it is when life is good. You understand the generosity of God. It doesn't matter your circumstances in life. The, the depth of the grace of God overwhelms us regardless of our circumstances. When you live gospel-centered lives, here's what happens. You have a gospel-centered generosity, and therefore your generosity will not be circumstantial, but rather will be unconditional. Far too many of us live our lives, and our, our generosity is always circumstantial. Whether or not we have it, whether or not life is good, we use phrases like this, if I had more, I would give more. If my circumstances were different, I would prioritize giving, I would prioritize generosity. And the truth is, if you're not faithful with little, Jesus says you won't be faithful with much. But when the gospel grabs a hold of your life, here's what's going to happen. Is there's going to be an unconditional generosity because you have received in Jesus an unconditional generosity. I'll never forget, I've seen this time and time again, one of the things that's just amazing to me when he says, he talks about the, the severe testing and the extreme poverty, and yet there's this abundant joy. I, I've been all over the world on mission trips, and one of the things that has been consistent, consistent no matter where I go, it seems to me that the happiest people I've ever encountered are also the poorest people I've ever met. And it's amazing to me how generous they are. I remember going into a village back in 2008. I was going into a very poor area of Uganda, and we 
we traveled into this area, and as we came in, and we just were told, you know, this place is, is unbelievably uh, impoverished, and they were growing uh, corn, and, but that corn didn't belong to them. They were just there farming it, and they had very little to eat, even though they had all this abundance of food because it belonged to someone else. And, and so as we came in, though, what little corn that they had, we were walking into this village, and they would come to us, and they would, they would kneel down, and they would offer the corn to us, and they told us, if they offer you, you take it. So you have some of the hungriest people on the planet offering food to the most well-fed people on the planet. And that feeling of taking that and, and then eating it, and then this is the embarrassing part because we didn't want to have our stomach upset. Many of us took four or five bites and we kind of just set it down only to find as we were sitting there, little kids would crawl under our legs and take the half-eaten corn cob and wipe the dirt off of it, and they would just sit there and eat at our feet because they were so hungry. And that's generosity. But these people were so overwhelmed that missionaries from America would come in that they were willing to say, you know, because of the gospel, we want to give you what we don't have. That is unconditional generosity. Here's number two. Number two is this. Uh, when we walk in gospel-centered generosity, not only will we give unconditionally, we will give radically. We will give radically. Look what happens in verses 2 and 3. He says, In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And then he says this, They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. It says that they overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Paul is emphasizing not the amount that they gave, but the way in which they gave. The point being, Paul is saying, they were extremely, extremely generous. Then he clarifies in verse 3. Look what he says again. They gave according to their means. And then Paul says, and I'll even go further, they gave beyond their means. Paul is showing the radical nature of their generosity. These people gave not only what they had. Listen to me. Listen. They only gave what they had. They gave beyond what they had. They didn't just give according to their capacity. They gave beyond their capacity. Why would, Paul, why would Paul emphasize this? I want you to hear me say this. When you think about generosity, we have to have a, a shift in the way that we think of generosity. So two words I want you to think of when you think of generosity. I want you to think of proportional and sacrificial. Proportional and sacrificial. Because here's how we give, and here's how we think of generosity in our culture. We think of, 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 of comparative, right, and, and size of the, the amount. But that's not what the Scripture emphasizes. It's proportional to your means or beyond your means and sacrificial, beyond your means, right? So it's proportional and sacrificial. So let me illustrate this for you right here. I had this covered up because some of you would have been focused on this all morning, and uh, because what I have in here is a, a beautiful, I'm going to try not to spill this, but a, but a beautiful cheesecake here. Um, I love cheesecake. Any cheesecake fans in the, the room? Yeah. And some of you are like, I hope he asked for a volunteer. <laughs> and I'm not. Um, so I have a cheesecake here, a, a nice strawberry glaze swirl Walmart cheesecake. Um, <laughs> which, by the way, don't be haters. It's my favorite, all right? Uh, my staff... Uh, kind of had a little deal for me last week, um, and, and they had my favorite. They had cheesecake, and I love This is not it. I, I got this this morning. And then I've got a, a piece of, of, of triple uh, Dutch chocolate cheesecake here, all right? Any, any chocolate cheesecake lovers in the room? Yeah, uh, you're not getting it. And um, so if I was to say to you, all right, I want to be generous to you in the room. 
So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a volunteer. I'm not going to get a volunteer. We're going to talk hypothetically for a moment, all right? And so, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take th- this piece of cheesecake and this cheesecake, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give some of you, listen, I'm going to give you, you know, four pieces of my cheesecake. Four pieces. You're talking about like, like this whole section here. Like that, that's a lot of cheesecake, right? And if you were to eat all of that, you would leave sick, right? Now, I also have this piece of cheesecake, and I'm going to give this entire piece to someone. Now, here's the question you need to ask. Which is most generous? If I was to have this, this, all I had was this, and I say, I'm going to give this to you. But if I have all of this, but I'm going to give you four pieces of this, which would you say is most generous? Now, you know where this is going. You, you would immediately say to yourself, okay, the, the most generous. Now, this is the biggest portion because there's more of it, but this is the biggest sacrifice because I'm not giving you a portion of what I have. I'm giving you all that I have. So even though quantity-wise it is much less than what I would give you here, in generosity language it's much, much more. Are you following me? So here is what has to shift in our mind. We've got to understand kingdom economics. In kingdom economics, generosity is not measured by the size of your gift, but the size of your sacrifice. It is not about how much in regards to the number, but rather how much in regards to the sacrifice that is being made. And why is this so important? Because there are some of you where when it comes to resources and finances, this looks more like your budget than this does. And you convince yourself, man, what I give doesn't matter because when I look at it in regards to comparison, what I give is very little. What I, what I give away is very little. It's not going to change the world. It's not going to change the church. It's not going to do you know, what, what other people can do. And man, if I just had a bigger pie, bigger cheesecake, I would give more away. And so what you've done is you, you've just kind of convinced yourself that it doesn't matter because proportionally you have less, therefore your gift doesn't matter. Others of you, you you've been basing, you, you have your, your finances, com, com, again, comparatively, it's got to be relative to, to where you are, where you live, who, who you're going to compare yourself to, but your finances look more like this. And, and so many of you, you beat your chest and you're like, man, I'm giving four pieces away. And so when you, you compare what you're giving to what somebody else is giving, you're like, man, I'm giving far more. But here's the question for you. Listen, is that a sacrifice? Are you giving, listen, are you giving in comparison? Or are you giving according to capacity? Proportionally, you have more. Therefore, you need to ask yourself the question, is the portion that I'm giving or the portion that I have expressing generosity? Is it a sacrifice for me? And so whether you're on the, the, the lower end of the spectrum or the higher end, it doesn't matter. Your measurement must be, listen, what has God given me? What is the portion that I have? And am I willing to be generous? Am I willing to give radically? Am I, am I willing to make sacrifices, genuine sacrifices? You remember the, the story that Jesus told? This is the way Jesus would have illustrated it. I mean, he does this in a real live example. You remember the widow who gave? 
Jesus is sitting there and he's watching the, the Pharisees and religious leaders are coming in with their money bags and man, they're just dumping it in and you can hear the rattle of all the money that's going in and, and man, they want everyone to see, I'm giving a lot. I got, I'm giving four pieces of my cheesecake and I got a lot of cheesecake. Look at what I'm giving. And then this little lady comes in with her little piece of cheesecake and she wants anybody to see and she's kind of embarrassed because comparatively speaking, it's very little, and she walks over, and according to Jesus, it's all that she had. It's what she lived on, and she quietly drops it, and no one noticed her gift except for Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth, because Jesus is looking at kingdom economy, not earthly economy. i tell you the truth. She, she gave much more than the rest of them. And you would look and say, do the math, Jesus. Come on, man, get a calculator. Not even close. And here, here is what Jesus would explain in this, this story. He, he would want us to see the difference between how he evaluates things from the way the world evaluates things. And here's what Jesus says. They gave with their abundance, she gave from her poverty. They gave monetarily more, but she gave proportionally more. They gave a substantial gift. I hear this all the time. They gave a substantial gift. She gave a sacrificial gift. And so listen, it's not about, okay, i got to become the widow in regards to what I have to give. Like, no, 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 no. With whatever you've been entrusted, when the gospel blows up in your life and roots inside of you, you will give radically, which means you are not going to give in comparison. You're going to give up to your capacity, which means you're going to see the portion you've get, been given and, and moved by the gospel, you're going to give generously, which means a sacrifice. You with me? Here's number three. Number three, so not only we give uh, unconditionally, we give radically, we give eagerly. We give eagerly. I love this. Verse three, it says, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. Listen to the last phrase, of their own accord. Paul says these Macedonians gave of their own accord. They didn't give because of guilt or because Paul coerced them into it, but rather because they were compelled to do so by the Spirit of God. When the gospel roots in your life, you're going to be compelled to give. You're going to, be, you're going to desire to be generous. Look at verse 4. Listen to this. This, is, this makes my heart happy as a pastor. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is my dream. One of these days for someone just to interrupt and be like, Pastor, can we take another offering, please? Like, can we, can we just pass the plates again? Can, do you mind? Like I, like, I know you talk about giving a tenth. Can, you think I can double that? You think I can give? Like, this is what's happening here. There, there's an earnestness. There's a, they're pleading with them. They're begging them, please don't rob us of the privilege. Like, like, like Paul knows their condition. He doesn't expect them to give anything. And, 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 and in a way, I don't want to read into this, but it, it appears to me that maybe even Paul and Titus and those collecting the offerings kind of said, no, 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 you, you guys don't need, you have enough needs of your own. We need to be taking an offering for you. You can't give them this offering. And they're like, don't you dare rob us of this blessing. Please, please let us give. Why? Because this is what gospel-centered generosity produces. When the cross of Jesus is, is, is buried deeply in our soul, it will cause us to have an eagerness to say, I want to give generously to the mission of God. And here's the thing that's just staggering to me as a pastor, according to statistics, and the average American Christian gives less than 3% of their income to the mission of God through the local church. 
And what's crazy about this is less than, when you look on average, and I know some people, they give a, some, some people give, you know, 15%, 20%, 25%, some even give 50% because God has just exploded their heart and their capacity to give is large. And so then they just, man, overwhelmed. And, and for many, by the way, according to statistics, those who make less than uh, $70,000 annually uh, as a household income are most likely to give above a tithe. But those who make above $70,000, according to statistics, are more likely to give underneath the tithe. So those with less typically give more. Those with more typically give less. And it just blows my mind. And here's the thing. I, this is not an issue of me going, okay, i got to make you feel guilty about this. No, I just want you to know this is a spiritual problem. Like, this is a spiritual problem. So if you are a Christian, you say, well, I never pray, or I pray occasionally, or I pray some. Or, you know what? Bible reading is just not my thing, and so I'm not going to read my Bible. You would easily look at that and go, okay, there's some spiritual issues happening in your life right now. The same is true in this area. And so I want to encourage you. Listen, you need to examine yourself. It's not, okay, i got to give because the pastor's challenging us. No, 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 no. If there's, if there's not even a, a desire to change or to say, you know, I want to make sacrifices to how I live in order for me to give the way that, that Jesus gave to me. Listen, that's not an issue of me trying to convince you. That's an issue of you getting on your knees before the Lord and saying, God, what is happening in my heart that the gospel has not been producing this? Is there an area of, of rebellion? Am I holding on to things that I shouldn't hold on to? And for you asking God to grow you and then you through spiritual discipline saying, I want to go all in because here's what you need to know. When the gospel takes hold of your heart, genuinely, you will be eager to live generously. The question when you look at the cross is not how in the world could Jesus tell me to give? How in the world could he tell me to let go of my hard-earned money to give to his kingdom? The thing you'll ask is how in the world could I not give more? How could I not? How could I look at the cross of Jesus and not be moved in my soul to live generously and give to the mission of God? This is a, an issue. And you just think about this. You know, Christmas is coming, right? I was shocked three weeks ago. No joke. I went into uh, Lowe's, and they had already put up all of the Christmas decoration sales. And I was like, we have lost our mind in our culture and society. We haven't even bought our Halloween costume and we're trying to buy Christmas decorations, right? Now, with this confession, all right, how, how many of you are already contemplating playing Christmas music in the next seven to 14 days? Anybody? Yeah, some of you. You're my people. I want you to know that. Um, like the, the, the rule at our house, as soon as, all right, Fall Fest is over, all right, Santa Claus and we're, we're in, right? We're playing some Christmas music. But here's the thing, I, y'all confess this, I love Christmas, I'll talk more about my love for Christmas during Christmas, but here's the thing, I've, as I've gotten older, I get more and more giddy about Christmas morning. Not, not because of what I might get, but I can't wait to see what the kids look like when they open the gift and see the deal. Like it's that, that anticipation, I'm tip, my wife and I are typically up before the kids are open, like waking them up, saying you gotta get up and come open presents, why? Because there's just such a love that we have for them, there is a joy found in that giving. There is an eagerness because of our love for our kids. And listen, when, when you uh, fall in love with Jesus and you're, you're growing in that love, there's gonna be an, an eagerness to give to his mission as well. And here's number four, the final truth that I want you to write down, the indicator that you're walking in gospel-centered generosity is this, is that you're going to give completely. And this is really where you find the heartbeat of what happened among the people in Macedonia. You will give completely. Look what he says in verse five. He says, and this, 
not as we expected. He's saying, in essence, they blew our minds. Like these people blew our ever-loving minds. We didn't expect these suffering, poverty-stricken brothers and sisters in Christ to respond with this radical generosity. And here's what you need to know. Radical generosity is always mind-blowing. It's always overwhelming. Paul is looking at what they gave. He's looking at the sacrifice they made. He's saying, listen, we didn't expect this. They gave it. And then he shows them the heart behind it of why they gave and how they gave. Look what he says. He says, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They gave completely. They gave themselves first to the Lord. They they gave themselves. Gospel-centered generosity is not about giving God our money, but about giving him our all. Gospel-centered generosity is not about believers just giving a portion of our income to the Lord. It's about him getting all of our heart. These believers gave all to the Lord because they understood that the Lord gave all to them. They gave everything, all of their heart. So, so eyes right here just for a minute. Can I, can I just help you breathe? Listen, so for some of you in this room, it's like you, and let me just help. Okay, I'm going to say this first, all right? For those of you who are tensed up right now because we're talking about generosity, let me help you. That's evidence that you need the Spirit of God to do a work in your heart. For those of you that are like, God, we're talking about generosity today. That, that's, that's evidence that the Lord has grown you in this area. Can I just get, put your mind at ease? God is not interested in your money. He's interested in your heart. And when he gets your heart, he gets your money as well. It's a spiritual issue. Look at what he says. They gave themselves first to the Lord. That they surrendered all of who they were to Jesus in response to his grace and mercy. And this is how Paul would, would say it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. For, for 12 chapters or 11 chapters, Paul in the book of Romans is unpacking for them the mercies of God. He's talking about the grace of God, the, 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 the unbelievable gift that we have in Jesus Christ. That by faith we can be forgiven of our sin and reconciled to God that Jesus gave all of who he was to, to us who did not deserve it so that we might be reconciled. So for 11 chapters, we get a glimpse of the mercies of God. And he says, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by these mercies to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul says, in light of the mercies of God, in light of the generosity of Jesus, your response, your reasonable response, reasonable simply means the logical conclusion, presents your bodies, all of who you are, all of who you are, all of what you have, lay it down as a sacrifice, as an act of worship, saying, I want all of you to have all of me. This, this is what the Macedonian church did. I love this. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And then listen to this. And then by the will of God, they gave also to us. When he says gave also to us, he's talking about the offering. They gave to the offering. And then listen to this. By the will of God, 
So, so whatever they gave, we don't know the amount. We just know that it was extremely generous. It was overflowing in generosity. The word overflowing is the idea of a river when it gets full of all the, the, the rain that is washed down. Now the, the banks of the river are overflowing. It's flooding everything around it. That's the picture. So we, do, we don't know how much. All we know is it's abundant and it was overflowing. That's the generosity. But here's what we do know. They gave whatever God told them to give. They gave obediently. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, whatever God directed them, they gave. If you want to be obediently generous, it demands full surrender. It demands that you relinquish the control of your life, the rights of your life, and you fully submit to Jesus. Listen, don't miss this. Jesus wants all of you. And if he has all of you, he will move you to walk in gospel-centered obedience. Gospel-centered obedience. Obedience that flows from the generosity of God toward us. You know, there's a song that we've sang for years here. In fact, it was, you know, written by an East Texan. Um, and the, the name of the song is called You Are my king. Y'all know the song? Some of y'all know that by a different title, the wrong title, which is Amazing Love. But the, but the lyrics of the song is really kind of what I believe gives us the framework of generosity. The songwriter says, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted because you've been condemned. I'm alive and I'm well, and your spirit lives within me. Why? Because you died and you rose again. Like everything that we have in Christ is because Jesus, though he was rich, became poor so that through his poverty, we who were poor might become rich. And then the writer simply declares, amazing love. How, how can this be? that you, my king, would die for me. I mean, we think about through history the number of stories that have been told about the people who would give their life for their king, who would go to the battlefield to defend their king, who would go at the word of their king, and, and they would sacrifice and pay the ultimate sacrifice in order for their king to be well. But we have a story that's different. Our story is about a king who went to the battlefield to die for the people so that through his death the people might live. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, and I know it's true. So what, what does he say? So in all I do, I honor you. In response to this love, in response to this generosity, in response to this amazing love, I just want to honor you. So here's the question for you in the house this morning. Does your generosity honor the Lord? Does it reflect his generosity toward you? Are you a person who says, I give unconditionally? I mean, I give radically, I give eagerly, and I give completely. 
Or do you know there are areas of your life where you know I'm not making sacrifices, I'm not living generously like I should. So here's the question. This morning, would you for a moment gaze at the cross of Christ and consider what he gave and ask him to center your life in that truth so that generosity might flow from his generosity? So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads if you would. We're going to have a time of just singing this song and to worship. I'm going to have um, some of our decision encouragers here to pray for you. Maybe today you come in with a burden and you need to be prayed for. We're going to pray for that. Maybe you've never met the king and have given your life to him and trusted him as your Lord and Savior. And today your aim doesn't need to be on your generosity. Your focus needs to be on his generosity and receiving what he died to give. And so maybe you need to come give your life to Christ. But for those of you who are redeemed, this morning my challenge is for you to gaze at the cross of Christ, see the generosity displayed for you, and ask yourself the question, is my life centered on that? And is that evident in the generosity that is displayed from my life? Father, I love you. And I ask now in the name of Jesus that you would allow us to worship you in spirit and in truth today. God, we love you. We praise you. And we thank you. Help us gaze in the cross. And as we look into the cross, help us to be moved toward becoming generous people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet.